Welcome to the 4th Down Experience, the podcast devoted to special teams. Your host of the 4th Down Experience, former pro free agent, nine-year professional kicking coach out of the Midwest, Coach Chris Hughesby. Alongside Coach Chris Hughesby is a former two-time Arena Bowl champion, nine-year pro kicking coach repping the South, Coach Brian Jackson. All right, here we are on the 4th Down Experience podcast with none other, Jay Feely, 14-year pro kicker in the NFL, analyst for CBS Sports, uh, sideline analyst. He's been an analyst for the NCAA basketball team. He's all over the place. Jay, we're excited to have you on here. I appreciate it, yeah. You know, being on your podcast is right at the top of that list. <laughs> thank <laughs> nice. you, Jay. Uh, <laughs> thanks for being on the 4th Down Experience. And I will say this um, – on my end, personally, uh, some of the motivations with us doing this podcast, uh, Gary Vanderchuk, I'm sure everybody's, you've probably heard of him, uh, yep. Pat McAfee, who does it for the brand, and, and, and actually, personally, you know, your help a few years ago with just kind of getting me into to the sideline analyst thing, too, and I got to do it at the high school uh Team level, right? Yeah. yeah, you you kind of got me to like build that confidence to just kind of put my voice out there and and let my opinions be be heard. And so you were you're kind of deeply rooted in into my interest in, in, in going forth with this podcast. So thank you. Well, good for you. I was proud of you. You know, I mean, that's what it's all about. Whether it's kicking or you know being on TV, you can't fear failure. You have to go out there, trust in yourself, believe in yourself not really care what other people think about you. And not in a disrespectful way, but it just doesn't matter. And go out there and do your best and let it fly. And and that's how you achieve your dreams in life. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I remember when Chris was messaging me, like, and he actually mentioned you, Jay. He was like, Jay actually kind of gave me a good motivational couple quotes and told me, and, and next thing you know, Chris is posting stuff on Facebook and getting like 200 likes. I'm like, damn, dude. <laughs> You're, maybe you should be an analyst, you know, you're doing a great job. So um, it's pretty cool to see that. Uh, Jay, um, obviously we could sit here and talk for seven hours just looking at your Wikipedia page. Uh, you Not just, all true. <laughs> <laughs> just because you've been so so successful in your career. Um, but we, what we like to do is talk about what's going on now and kind of move backwards. Sure. Uh, so currently, and we all, we all know this is a special teams podcast, but Jay just had an awesome opportunity and did fantastic. It was actually more fun to watch basketball because you were talking. Um, <laughs> tell the audience about your recent experience. Well, you know, it came about right before the game. So Wednesday, before the Final Four, the first game of the semifinals were on Saturday. You know, I got a call from Tenor. And actually, first I got a call from CBS from my boss and asking me, hey, would you be interested in doing the basketball Final Four? And, I, you know, obviously being a big Michigan fan, I'm watching them throughout the tournament and uh, being a basketball fan since I, I grew up. You know, my grandpa coached college basketball at St. Thomas there in Minnesota. So, you know, that was well, kind Thomas. of always, yeah, that was always our connection. He and I, we sit down, we fill out our, our brackets, you know, we'd pick the teams and we'd watch the games together throughout the tournament. And, you know, that was always from an early age, that was our connection together. And, and so to get an opportunity to go and to call the games, to call the Final Four, I thought I'd be doing sideline. <laughs> and then 
I get an email that says, oh, by the way, you're the analyst. And, uh, and the first thing I did was look to see if there was room a basketball analyst with me. Uh, and lo and behold, no, I was, I was the sole analyst. And I thought, well, I better, I better start studying a lot more than just as a casual fan. Um, <laughs> awesome. So it was definitely something different. It was uh, out of my comfort zone a little bit. But, you know, you got to be willing to go with it. And I had a blast. It was so much fun to, to sit on the, on the court, to watch Michigan play. Uh, you know, they played a great game in, in the semifinals against Upstart Loyola and, you know, found a way to come back and win that game. And then, you know, in the finals, Villanova was just too good. It's one of the best college basketball teams of all time right. when you talk about teams. Uh, and I think both Michigan and Villanova really embodied the collegiate atmosphere. You know, they, they, they don't have the one-and-done players. They don't have the guys that are the top high-level recruits. They uh, On both teams, they had one five-star player, and that was it. Uh, so it was guys that went to college for the right reasons, to stay in college, to learn, that believed in the system, that uh, believed in each other, that were sacrificial in the way they approached their sport. So I loved it. It was, it was really a pleasure to be a part of it. Yeah, it was fun to follow that. And so that kind of leads us into this just next question, just just the whole analyst thing. How was was that something you wanted to get into after you retired, or how did how did that develop? And uh, what's it like being on the sidelines and, and on the other side in the media? Well, you know, I I didn't study uh, communications when I was at Michigan. I went into finance when I got done. I spent two years uh, after college working and trying to get into NFL camps, trying to you know get signed by a team and going to tryouts. And during that time, I, I got my series six and seven, became a financial advisor and did that for two years. And then finally you know, got my break and got invited to camp with the Falcons and ended up winning that job and then going on and kicking. And, and when I was middle of my, about middle fifth, sixth year of my career, I started to do a lot of uh, work on TV, started to do a lot of work on ESPN. But go on, it was cold pizza at the time. It became first take. Uh, and, and started doing that show a lot and, you know, kind of had some success doing that and started thinking about maybe, maybe this is something I want to do when I'm done. Never did I think about being in the analyst role, though. Right. Uh, although I always loved football and I always loved paying attention. And I, I feel like being a kicker, if you approach it the right way, gives you a better idea of the entire team than any other position. And people never realize that you know when they're when they're talking about kickers uh, and whether or not they know football because you kick for 30 minutes and you have two hours two and a half hours to go watch every other drill to walk around practice to talk to management to talk to owners to talk to you know other people that are there and really pick their brains and you can go watch the quarterback drills you can go receiver drills you can go watch whatever it is that you want to watch and nobody else has that latitude in practice and so it was a great advantage for me to be able to, to kind of walk around practice and to kind of see that and explore it when I got done thinking about getting the analyst role it was a tremendous benefit for me really the whole picture of football to be able to see that throughout the course of 14 years yeah you know and you've called a lot of games whether it be collegiate uh nfl um, this is probably a tough question, Jay, but are there any games that stand out to you that you were excited to call? Well, my first game, you know, CBS called me. I was still playing. They, they were interested in me becoming an analyst. So we had a long discussion about it. And they said, listen, why don't you try it out and try it and we'll see how you do. Uh, so they, they gave me a game. And a lot of guys start this way. Um, 
Trent Dilford did it, Matt Hasselbeck, uh, a lot of different guys. Tony Rome was probably one of the few that didn't try it out beforehand, that just got a job, and then then he did a lot of practice games before he did his actual first game. But So I went and I did my first game. It was Middle Tennessee versus BYU. And, uh, it was at Middle Tennessee State, and <laughs> all the Polynesian names on the BYU team, I'm like, holy cow, could you give me a harder team? That's <laughs> my first game. <laughs> I do remember sitting there about to go on and you know you're going to be on air for about three hours. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing here. Because you think like you get a whole lot of preparation and all this coaching and they tell you exactly what to do and how it works and the semantics of everything. The reality is, is that you don't really know. you got to figure it out for yourself. And you just go on there and you kind of wing it. Right. And I went through that first game. And I'm sure if I went back and watched that game now, I would say to myself, oh, my goodness, you're awful. Um, but but they liked what they saw. And they saw potential there. And, you know, got to give a lot of credit to a guy named Ross Malloy, who's, who does talent at CBS. And, and he was awesome with me and talking to me about what I could do and that I could have an opportunity. And, you know, CBS after that year, I, I finished up, I kicked for the bears that year. And, and, uh, at the end of that year, they offered me a spot for the next year. And, you know, I kind of had a decision to make them like, do I continue to go after this cooking dream and my body's kind of hurting. And my analogy is I, I didn't really have a driver anymore. You know, <laughs> I was teeing off with the three hundred. uh, you know, I could kick field goals still, but but kickoffs, you know, I'd, I'd hit a really good one. I'd be like, all right, I crushed that one. It would go like one deep. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, and then I was like, all right, I think it's. I think my body's telling me it's time. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and I was, I was, I, I didn't get in a situation like Matt Bowman and Adam Vinatieri where they could just kick field goals. I think if I had gotten in a situation like that, uh, I, you know, I could have played, you know, three or four more years. But no that's, you know, those are few and far between. So. You know, I decided, you know, let's, let's try this and go see us and try to make a career of it and something, you know, you could do for the next 20 years. Yeah. So one thing, one thing I learned here from, you know, from you when you were giving me some advice on doing the analyst role is to not necessarily worry about what other people think and don't worry about giving the insight on that guy's technique because that's what people want to hear. Is it hard being on the analyst side to maybe critique kickers in the inner circle or guys you've been friends with? I mean, is that, was that hard for you to, to do something like that? Yeah. I mean, yes and no. I think if they know that you're knowledgeable and they know that you know what you're talking about, when you talk about, like, I'll give you an example. Like I, I like Steven Gaskowski a lot as a person. He's one of the best kickers of all time. Uh, you know, he had an off year two years ago and did not kick the way he wanted to. He knew that. I knew that. In fact, we had talked, we had private talks about, you know, what I saw and what he could do, you know, to fix that. Um, talking about, like, his struggles and saying, okay, this is what I see. His balance is off. He's not staying balanced like he normally does. He's not coming through the hip square. I mean, that stuff, I'm not saying anything derogatory about him you know and it's things that he knows are true and so he, i didn't get any brushback from him about that and and i haven't and, and with most kickers i have with coaches at sometimes you know when you say something about a scheme uh that you don't like or you know something about a coach uh and, and their lack of production or whatever i have had coaches send me a text and not be happy with that <laughs> uh you know but 
that, that's going to happen. I mean, I, th- I think I got 2,000 tweets during the uh, NCAA tournament because people didn't know they were watching the team cast and I was supposed to be biased for Michigan. Uh, yeah. And they were all like, you know, you are the worst announcer in all time. You're so biased. This is awful. TNT fire this guy. Yeah. Well, it was kind of funny. We actually had fun with Ron Lowe because he like tweeted that and we put it on air and then he retweeted and said, oh, I'm sorry. You guys are doing great. <laughs> Yeah, so, all right, well, that actually gives me kind of another question here, but uh, when I tried, like, I always refer back to when I, when I when I tried it at the small scale, the high school state tournament, because you know, I, I love watching what you do. People don't realize how much time goes into being on the sidelines, because you want to come across as knowing what you're talking about. Sure. Can, can, you, can, you, can you let the listeners know, like, how much time do you put into studying up for the game and, and getting that inside and, and all that stuff that, it really leads up to that three hours on the sideline. So there's certainly two different roles. When when I'm the analyst and I'm up in the booth, that's totally different than when I'm down on the sideline and I'm working as a sideline, uh, either at the sideline role or as a analyst role on the sidelines. Because you know that if you're on the sideline, you're a complimentary piece. And your job is to complement the broadcast, the play-by-play, and the analyst and what they're doing up in the booth. And so you have to kind of wear two different hats. Because you know when you're doing sideline, you have to be in and out. You can't lead over the play. You have to. You have 10 to 15 seconds to get your point across, do it in a way that people can understand, and give them something new that they learned. Uh, and you have to. You have to kind of wait for the producer to say, "Okay, now here," because I'll have stuff all game long. And and you know you work even for the sideline role. You work three four days preparing. You go to practice. You watch practice. You talk to the special teams coaches. You get a chance to talk to the kickers either at practice or before games. And so you have all this material that you're ready for all these different situations. And I will try and get an opportunity not just talk about the kickers or the punters, but to talk about special teams in general and and what's going on in that phase of the game and who has the advantage and what teams are trying to do. It's just so hard to get all of that in. You know, you may get one or two times that you're going to get on air. Now, when I'm in the analyst role and I'm up in the booth and I'm calling the game, now I'm talking the whole game. Mm-hmm. And now not only do I have to prepare for special teams, but I have to know everything. I have to know offensive, defensive personnel. I got to know the schemes. I got to know what they're trying to do, how they're trying to do it. Uh, so that's that's a whole lot more entailed when you're when you're talking about the research and it, my whole job during the week is building my boards, you know, where I have every starter and every backup on my board. And I'm, uh, you know, all these anecdotal either stats or stories, things like that, that I think might get into the broadcast and you have to have them readily available at the second that it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's no way you can memorize all that. So you put it on a board. It's a big, you know, like you're, like you're doing a science fair project, you know, building your board out when you're in grade school and, mm-hmm. um, you got to know exactly where every person is and how to pronounce their names and what they've done and what they're, what they're trying to do schematically, uh, you know, as well as other coaches and the coaching staff as well. So that's a whole lot more entailed. And when I'm doing it, you know, when I'm doing a game as an analyst, I'm grinding all week, you know, you're watching tape, you're watching film, you're trying to understand everything, see tendencies, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, and I think people overestimate it. Um, there's a lot of uh, younger guys that want to go into broadcasting and the communications and the media side. And so I think the listeners hearing this, it's really good feedback and good value because a lot of them maybe not know that that's what you had to go through, you know, for leading up to every game that you're preparing for. Um, one thing that uh, we're going to get back to some of the broadcasting stuff, but 
I kind of want to bring up some other stuff real quick. Um, is you know you had an amazing career. You played 14 seasons. Uh, you're five ten. Uh, some would consider that you know maybe on the shorter side. I'm five six, so I must be really really short. Um, <laughs> well, but, my son's like six one, so he always he tells me how short right. I am. Well, all hey, the time. and at least I'm taller than your dad, so I feel pretty good about myself. Uh, but, um, you know, you went 332 out of 402, an 82 percentile on your field goals career, I mean, which is amazing, long of 61. But, Jay, uh, what I loved was the game against the Broncos, and you have your right, you have your right foot in front, which most kickers know what's going on. Everyone else is kind of like, I don't, we're not even looking at the way his stance is. Yeah, talk switch the stance up, exactly. Yeah, talk about that play. Like, run through that play and how exciting it was, especially home in Arizona. If you're a kicker, punter, or long snapper that's trying to elevate your game at the high school and JUCO level, then make sure to visit nationalkickingrankings.com to visit a camp near you. Well, you know, we had had that play in uh, for about five weeks, and we actually called it three times prior to that but we didn't get the look that we needed to run it so we called it off which you know is so deflating for me because that's all you're waiting for as a kicker is an opportunity to show you're an actual athlete <laughs> yeah. you know and to get a chance to carry the ball or to throw a ball and you know to do something outside of the norm and so when you call it the coaches have the confidence they call it you get out there and they're not in the right look and you have to literally check out of it and take the field call it's so deflating <laughs> uh you know but finally we got the right look and and we left it on, and they did exactly what we thought, and they came hard off that corner. Uh, you know, and you just kind of take a step in like you're going to kick and then take off, and your holder flips it to you, and you hope that you can outrun everybody. You know, it was awesome. You know, it's a blur, and you kind of get the ball, and you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm actually going to score. And, and I had a great time holding the ball up, running across the goal line, trying to do a lay leap down three-quarters of the way up the wall and knocked the kids' glasses off. <laughs> <laughs> the celebration, uh, I need a little work on that. I wasn't used to getting the end zone. So, no, uh, I, thought, I thought it was great. I mean, it's 13 yards running for your life. I mean, you look fast off the edge. And, I mean, you got up there. I mean, you hit the kid in the face, but, I mean, you got up there. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. That was a crazy game because, you know, for a while we kicked, uh, I think we kicked six field goals in that game and scored the touchdown, kicked the extra point, you know, nobody else had, had scored on our team, and it was actually, it was ironically, it was a CBS game, and so in the fourth quarter, they put up a, a uh, uh, they put the score up, and it said, Jay Feely 22, Denver 12, or something <laughs> like that. I had yeah, awesome. also, uh, a picture of that, a screenshot of that in my office, which was, uh, it was a cool moment. The best part about that entire day, though, was, it was the only time I ever did it. After the game, uh, I went and my son was hanging over the edge, uh, up in his seats, and I grabbed him out of the stands, and I brought him down with me. This was eight years ago, so uh, he was like seven. Yeah, I brought him, brought him into the locker room with me. I figured, like, this is the time to do it. They can't get mad at me after this game. Right. Uh, I brought him in the locker room to kind of experience everything, and the press conference, and you know, just kind of let him soak it all in with me, which was uh, definitely one of the highlights of my career. Bringing him and getting him, getting to share that with him. No, that's a special oh, moment for sure. And before we get back to that uh, uh, question that Chris has, you mentioned this earlier in the podcast. Um, I want to know if it's the if it's the only time it's happened. You mentioned that you're playing in the NFL, you went and called a game, and then you finished the season and played in the NFL. I think that's accurate. Is that the first time that's ever happened with a kicker before? With a, with a kicker, yes. Uh, the last awesome. kicker that was an analyst was actually Pat Summerall. 
Okay. And then he went on to become the play-by-play guy, but he started out as an analyst. Uh, he also played in positions, you know, as an offensive lineman. That's, but, but he was the only other kicker that has been an analyst. Now, a lot of other guys have done that. I told you Hasselbeck did it. Uh, Greg Olson did it last year. Uh, so there's been a lot of guys that have gone in their bye week and, and gone and called a game and then gone back and continued playing. Gotcha. Oh, that's great. So, 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 just going back to that touchdown, you keep the you keep the ball then? Is that on the shelf somewhere? Oh yeah, that's on the shelf for sure. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I got to pull up the, the highlights to, to show my son or this is playing. So you think you're you think you're pretty hot stuff now? Like I, I got a couple of plays for you still. You know, and I, once in a while I got to go out there and kick a ball and like show him like, all right, you still got some work to do, big guy. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, I can imagine that's fun. I, I have a kid that's, I have two kids, seven and four, and I'm, I'm looking forward to those days where a little bit more interactive and you kind of get that little going back and forth. And remember, I was oh, an athlete type everything. of thing. Yeah, we continue. His first game was a, as a freshman, he was starting on varsity this past year, and he made a 49-yarder, and which was unbelievable. And so yeah. he, comes, he comes to me after the game, and he's like, Dad, uh, what was your interest in high school? <laughs> I said 49. He already tied you. <laughs> your first game, he's tied me. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so, yeah, so you're training your son, and, and we see the posts on social media. What's what's it like having a son that's kind of following the footsteps, getting into kicking, and what's it like training your son? Well, I, you know, I think any dad would say this. Like, sometimes it's awesome, and sometimes it's a nightmare. Yeah. Because <laughs> sometimes they want to listen to you, and sometimes they don't want to listen at all. And yeah, It's kind of this balance. You, especially, you know, as they get into high school, you have to you have to kind of wait for them to say, hey, can you come in this? Or, hey. So I'll, I'll just kind of, we're not kicking today. And, you know, I kind of let him practice, let him do his things. And when I'd see something, once in a while, I'd say something. Or I'd say, hey, do you, do you need some help with that? Or he's like, oh, you got it. Uh, <laughs> or once in a while, you know, he's like, yeah, just let me figure it out. You know? And uh, so I'll just kind of wait, wait and sit back. And I may come up on a kickoff and be like, okay, you're a little close. You know, bring that plant foot out. Let yourself reach into the ball more so you can lock your ankle. And, and there you go. He hits the next one. He hits it, you know, 10 yards further. So, nice. uh, you know, it, it's really cool to be able to be there with him and, and to help him. And now that he wants to do it and he likes kicking, uh, it's just you can't ever force your kids into doing something. Honestly, to be honest with you, I, I'd rather he golfed. Because he's an awesome golfer, and last summer he, you know, going into his freshman year, so he's, in, you know, in between eighth eighth grade and ninth grade, he started out driving me on the golf course, and you know, I'm a scratch golfer, so he's he's hitting at like three twenty, wow, on the drives, and but he doesn't have golf. He shot under par before, and he's like, oh, I'm done. Like, I beat you. He beat me one time. He's like, okay, I've accomplished everything I accomplished with golf. <laughs> oh, nice. can imagine. That's, well, that's, that's incredible. Well, he's a good kicker, and, you know, obviously we'd love to see him play collegiate ball and then and then play in the NFL, but one of the biggest uh, talks out there is is potentially the, the kicking uh, going away. You know, that's been a discussion in several talks, specifically on the kickoff rule. Um, let's bring up that in discussion. You know, what, what have you been hearing? Uh, what are your thoughts on the whole kickoff rule? Well, they're certainly moving towards eliminating kickoffs. You know, they've done a number of times. They've already made rules. They made the, the rule permanent this year. They bring a touchback down to the 23rd. Uh, touchbacks this year. And that's going to continue. And to me, 
I think they've they've approached it entirely the wrong way. I told Roger Goodell this, and I've had conversations with him. I think if you want to keep the kickoff in the game, and you want to keep, to me, even more than the kickoff, it's the kickoff return. It's the excitement of a kickoff return. It's the potential keeping the script and taking. And football's such an emotional game, and you go on a long drive, an 80-yard drive. Down the field, and you score a touchdown, you take the lead, and then you kick off, and boom, they run it back 105 yards for a touchdown. That's the most exciting play in all of football. Well, I don't want to see that go. I don't want to see the most athletic, fastest guys in all of sports with the ball in their hands making moves. I mean, I think back to Dante Hall when, when I was young, watching him just juke everybody and all kinds of crazy moves. You know, it was must-see TV when he had the ball in his hands returning kicks. I don't want to see that go away. You know, and so there's ways to make it safer because what they're trying to do is eliminate the concussions because still, even with the high increase in touchbacks, you still have a much greater percentage of concussions happening on kickoffs than any other play in football. Well, change the play. You know, and, and what I said is you can mandate that eight of the 11 guys on the return team are within 15 yards of the ball when it's kicked, right? So they have to be 10 yards off the ball, the 10-yard buffer. So between 10 and 15 yards, you have eight guys in there, and then it becomes more like a punt return. And then the other three guys, because there's so much room to cover, uh, and so much ground to cover are all, all going to be skill guys. Right. And you have not only would it encourage teams to return balls and it would open the field up and you have more returns and you have more explosive plays and it would add scoring and it would add offense. But, but the other thing is the intrigue would be there. The, the ability to try to kick balls and get them on the ground, hit a bloop kickoff and try and recover it because you don't have so many guys back there. Mm-hmm. And when, when you look at punt returns, they don't have the same data, the same concussion rate on punt returns as you do on kickoff returns because you don't have the collisions where guys are running 30, 40 yards the opposite way running into each other. Right. You know, so I think that's the answer. I, I've, I've expressed that to Roger Goodell. I know there's some special teams coaches that agree with me uh, and that want to see those changes put in place. And, and I'm not sure he's resistant to those. I think those would make the game more exciting. Certainly more exciting than just watching guys kick touchbacks 70% of the time. Right. No, I, yeah, we agree with you on there. I mean, as kick, former kickers ourselves, I mean, we don't want that eliminated. Uh, I don't know if you had heard this, how public it is, but uh, we interviewed Pat McAfee a few uh, podcasts ago. He plans on coming out with like a whole spread of, of video talking points of why, you know, the kickoff should stay. Have you heard him, him talk about that yet? Because uh, obviously, no, you know, he's, no, he's a character, so it'll be yeah. fun to uh, hear what he has to say about keeping keeping kickoffs. Right. Well, but, uh, you know, I think anybody, I heard Cordell Patterson talk about it uh, a couple of days ago, you know, and, and he mentioned, you know, how he doesn't want to see it. It's his livelihood. And so it's not just kickers, it's returners, yeah. it's guys that are in special teams. You know, I've done Matthew Slater for the Patriots, who's been a, a special teams problem nearly every year. Well, if you eliminate those plays, it eliminates their as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to see it happen. And so we're hoping, uh, you know, that's awesome that you get to talk to Roger Goodell and just kind of let, let him know your viewpoint from the kicker side, which is which is great for the brand, for fourth down experience, 
for for everyone being the only only special teams and out, uh, analysts out there. Uh, we sure hope that um, they can get it worked out. Where uh, you know they're already messing with the extra point, you know. So which which has been interesting. What, what were your thoughts on that, Jay? I mean, were you playing when they made that change? Or did that happen after after you finished? It happened, thankfully, right after I finished. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if I had a pressure to extra points. I was against it at the beginning because I thought it would make uh, you would have, you would have an uptick in injuries for the offensive linemen because guys didn't rush hard on the old extra point because they knew it was good and they would definitely rush hard now. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I looked at the injury data after the first year, there wasn't an uptick in injuries on those plays. So reverse course, I think it was a good change. It definitely made it harder for kickers. It definitely added intrigue and, and it separated uh, the average, you know, and, and guys, it, you know, you guys understand you kicked, you know, Brian, pressure is cumulative. It builds upon itself. And anytime you miss a kick, whether it's an extra point or a field goal, that pressure continues to build. So, you know, you could, you could make, all your field goals through the first six weeks of the year, but you miss three, four extra points, that pressure is going to be immense on each kick, and it's going to continue to build. And you've seen some guys, like Aguayo, who, who wilted under the pressure, and other guys, like a Justin Tinker, who just continues to slow and shows that he's the best in the world. Yeah, and, you know, like Roberto, for example, I mean, he, he didn't have the best field goal percentage, but, you know, those extra points, you just, you know, you can make them in college or from 20 and – but you know those thirty-three yarders, they'll get you sometime. Um. So Jay, I, I got a question for you. So I, you know that kind of leads into some questions. I, I I wanted to ask you about your career. You know, you played for six different teams. You know, the life of a kicker. Sometimes, if you're not lucky enough to stay with a team for for a long time, there's a, there's often a lot of movement. What you know? Could you describe what it was like to move team to team, and and maybe even as like a family man? You know, what, what's it like to uproot? And, and what were some things you learned from that that, that other kickers who, you know, will be coming up to, into the system can can learn from? Well, I was certainly blessed to, to be employed in the NFL for 14 years. Uh, so I was grateful for every job. I was grateful for every opportunity, uh, you know, to be in the NFL and to be on a team, even if it meant switching teams. A couple of times they were my own choice as a free agent, you know, moving teams and trying to get the best contract and do what's in the best interest of your family although one time i left the giants as a free agent and then they went and won the super bowl the next year and i was the Dolphins. Oh. we went we went one in 15 so oh, man. That, that didn't work out too well you know and then a couple of times you get cut you know and they move on and whether that's because of money or other things um you know luckily both times i got cut i had had really good years uh the year before and so for me it was more about things off the field than it was uh on the field and um I, I think the greatest honor that I had playing was that, uh, you know, three of the teams that I played on, my teammates voted me captain, um, you know, that's out awesome. of everybody they could pick. And to be thought of as a leader, to be thought of as a guy that's respected, that's looked up to, I was the player rep on, on every team that I played on. My, my teammates voted me the player rep. They wanted me in those meetings representing them. That's, that meant a lot to me. And that those are the things that you take with you and, and I always approached kicking uh, a little differently than, than most. I, you know, I wanted to be—I wanted to be respected. I didn't want to be viewed as just a kicker. I didn't want to be viewed any different than anybody else. I was going to work my butt off in that weight room in the off-season workouts so that my teammates knew that I worked just as hard as they did. Uh, and I feel like when you when you fail, when you have those bad games, 
when you've worked as hard as they have and they've seen you out there grinding, that's when your teammates, they have your back. Uh, those kickers that, that don't put in that work, that kind of separate themselves from their teammates, when they fail, that's when you know they kind of turn their backs and they, they want just, all right, get somebody in here that's going to make kicks and they don't have a lot of support for you. Uh, you know, I was blessed that, that anytime I had poor games, my teammates always had my back. Yeah, you know, and I, I love that you mentioned – uh, being a captain and, and your teammates naming you as a captain for certain teams. Uh, recently, uh, your arch rival, uh, Notre Dame, uh, their punter, Tyler Newsom, who's a guy that, that Chris and I trained in high school in Georgia, uh, he just got named captain for his senior year as the punter for Notre Dame, which is which is awesome. It's nice seeing specialists kind of moving uh, more of in leadership roles. Um, I love to see that. I really do. And congrats to him because – you know, sit back and think that you could be uh, viewed by your peers in college as a specialist and to be voted uh, as a captain is tremendous. I think Mike Nugent was a captain at Ohio State as well. You know, nice. There have been some other guys. It doesn't happen a lot in college. You know, in the NFL, when you've been around a long time and, and guys have been able to watch you throughout the league, I think there's a lot more respect. There's certainly a lot more respect in the locker room mm-hmm. than there is from fans outside the locker room uh, for, for the specialist positions. And that's reflected in the number of guys that are captains and the number of guys that get elected as their player rep. I mean, specialists are the number one group when you talk about the NFL Players Association. And he's represented there. Uh, there's more specialists than any, than any other position group. Awesome. Uh, and I think that, that reflects on you know how the guys think about those guys and, and the respect that they have for them. Hey, Jay, uh, so I have a question, I have a question about um, kind of where the kicking game is going, whether the kickoff rule uh, – comes into effect or not but we're seeing a lot more um of the kickoff punt specialists come into play and, and then a field goal only specialist uh, wh- where do you see in the next five to seven years do you see more of guys that are punting and kicking off and then a guy doing a field goal or do you still see uh, those guys kicking field goals and kickoffs and still having just the pure punters well i think ideally you'd rather have a guy who punts and kicks off where they could just bomb away in both and a precision guy who kicks field goals who can just focus on the mental aspect of kicking field goals because it's so different than kicking off. You know, mm-hmm. Kicking off is so impressive and powerful and you're banging the ball. You don't care exactly where it goes. And whereas field goals is all about dealing with the pressure. You know, there's so many guys. There's a there's you know thousands of guys that can go out and make a 50 yard field goal, but there's only a handful of guys that can go out and make it under the pressure you know, of a big-time college or an NFL game when the season's riding on the line. And so I think ideally you would want as a coach a guy who could just focus on kicking field goals and the mental aspect of that and be in that totally. If you had a punter who could kick off as well, you know, normally you have taller punters, and that is better for kickoffs. you got a bigger lever, you have a bigger swing arc, you can hit the ball further. It's just like golf, you know, your biggest – tallest guys have the biggest to longest drives, you know, and, and so the same thing holds true with kicking, you know, and if you can find a guy who punts and can kick off, I think that's most ideal. Great. Uh, I love that. I love that. That's great for us, for us punters here. (laughs) So so I got a question. You you referred to this a few times uh, earlier here, just, just overcoming adversity and, 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 kind of the challenges of a kicker. I've heard this story from your dad a few times at, at different kicking camps that we've run together, but, uh, you know, describe the Jay Feely story that, that, that came out, you know, <laughs> what was it like going through it, being the subject of that story? 
how did you, what did you learn from it? And how do you kind of overcome that, that just that pressure? That, that, well, to that clarify, pressure. yeah, to clarify for your viewers, it was a Saturday Night Live skit uh, yep. all about me, which in retrospect, not a lot of people have had a Saturday Night Live skit all about them. Right, yeah, you know, true. so you, you, you kind of wear it with a badge of honor. But at the time, it certainly wasn't. And, you know, I had the worst game of my career. Uh, we were playing for home field advantage. I was with the New York Giants. And it was in December. We are at Seattle. And I was having the best year of my career by far. I was leading the league in every category field goals made, field goal percentage, points, everything. And, uh, you know, I had a good game that game, made two kicks. And I had a game winner at the end of the game. It was 41, 42 yards, and the wind was blowing left to right. So I'm like, all right, just play just size left upright, and I'm move back exactly where I wanted, hit it right where I wanted, and the, and the wind pulled it a little left. And so uh, I missed that kick, and we go to overtime. I think it was like a 54-yarder in overtime, and I <clears> – <throat> At Seattle, the ball doesn't travel well. There never has. It's, it's right on the water there, sea level. And so I, I missed that kick. Kind of knew going out I wasn't going to make that kick. And, and then the only kick I missed in my career that I could honestly say I missed because I was you know, and I think there's a big difference between knowing you're going to make a kick and going out hoping you're going to make a kick. Because when you start hoping, you know, then your form deteriorates. You start fixating on the fundamentals of what you're doing, and you're worried about the outcome. And, and that doesn't lead usually to uh, the outcome that you want. That's exactly what happened with me. Poor form, poor technique, missed a kick. So I missed three game winners, and, and we lose the game. And, uh, you know, I get land blasted all over New York, obviously, and every paper and every radio show. And I'm trying not to listen to anything and trying to focus. And I didn't get cut that week. So uh, I try to get over that bad game and get ready for the next week. And, and you know, Saturday night, I'm getting ready for the game. We're playing on Philadelphia. And uh, all of a sudden, I get like 50 text messages. They're, like, Dude, they're killing you on Saturday Night Live right now. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, no. uh, they did a story, like a five minute skit. Dane Cook played me. Knows what it was like to, to ride on the plane from Seattle back to New York after having that bad so we go out the next day and we're playing Philadelphia and sure enough we go to overtime again and I do the game overtime again and they call a timeout to ice me and, and during the timeout they played a montage of my misses from the Seattle game up on the jumbotron oh, <laughs> you man. talk about pressure and trying not to allow it to impact you knowing in the back of your mind that if you miss this kick, you'll probably be cut, and your career will probably be over. And that's the battle every kicker uh, faces, is not allowing your mind to wander in those pressure moments, not allowing your mind to think about the implications of what you're doing. Right. Uh, you have to focus on just your fundamentals. You know, you can't think about how important it is for your job security or for your next contract or to get into the NFL or to get into college or there's scouts out there looking at me. It's focusing on just the fundamentals, the things that are going to actually help you make that kick. And you know, my faith played a big role at that point. I have a piece that I can't, I can't explain. Um, you know, I made the kick, and my career went on. And, and the interesting thing is that after that game, I was a much better kicker for the next seven years of my career, eight years of my career, than I was for those first five years. Uh, and I think it's a direct result of failing as bad as I could fail. And being land blasted on national TV on Saturday Night Live and, and going through all that and not allowing it to break me. And it took mm -hmm. away a lot of that fear of failure. Right. And so after that game, you, know, you go back and you look and I didn't miss another game winner after that game. Uh, the rest of my career. Uh, I, I, was, I was a below average kicker just barely surviving. 
uh, in the NFL, staying employed before that game, I was an above-average kicker the rest of my career. So it definitely helped me to go through that. It's been fun to go through. But I think every kicker, really every athlete, you're going to have moments where you fail and fail dramatically. And it's how you respond to those moments that is going to define you. And, you know, you know, I'm grateful for it, to be honest with you. Hey, Jay, uh, I think you're providing amazing feedback here for the youth and for the parents, just everyone that's listening. Really appreciate this. I have one more question, and then I think Chris maybe have may has one or two more, but um, this is on the analyst side of things. Uh, the NFL draft obviously is coming up soon, uh, quicker than quicker than we know it. So um, we've had Daniel Carlson here on the podcast. He's been great. We know he did well at the combine. Uh, Chris and I have had an opportunity to do a training session with Panero a couple years ago. Uh, we've been in talks with ha- uh, having Michael Badgley on here. Um, what do you think is going to happen in the draft this year? Do, are any of these guys going to get drafted, or where do you see these guys ending up? Well, I think Panera, I think obviously he, he's probably the most talented uh, of all the guys with the biggest leg. And he, when he got his opportunities at Florida from an early age, he was fantastic. Uh, seems to be like he can handle the stage, no problem. You know, another guy that I really like is the punter J.K. Scott out of Alabama. Um, liked him for three years. Um, Auburn's kicker, Carlson, I think he was – Excellent as well. You know, he had uh, a kind of a down year this year for him, but I look at his body of work and kind of see what he did and his ability to kick the ball. Those are three guys that I think uh, have the ability to, to take the step to that next level and, and to be really good. And J.K. Scott, the way that he punts the ball, very few college punters now, because of the rules in college, punt NFL-style punts. He did the entire time in his career. He was excellent. His hang time was spectacular. His direction was phenomenal. You know, he's a guy that if I needed a punter, I would I would look to draft him high because I think he's a guy who could start for you for 12 years. Absolutely. completely agreed, and I think it was smart on Saban having him hold his senior year. He was a little rusty, but, I mean, all that experience I think is going to be huge, don't you think, for him? Yeah, because and- I know, there are punters that I know that are good punters that didn't win jobs because they couldn't hold. Right. You know, they get into camp, they got a veteran kicker, and the veteran kicker's not going to put up with a guy who's not good holding. And teams care about field goal kicking more than they do punting because it's points and, and because the margin of victory is so slim in the NFL. So if you can't hold and you go in there and you guys are close as punters, but one's a great holder, one's a terrible holder, well, that's going to cost you a job. And so I don't think a lot of young guys realize that. They don't spend the time and put in the energy and the effort. When you get to the NFL, holding is instrumental to yeah. your success. And so, like, I'll give you an example. I was at uh, the Ravens practice this year, and I watched their operation, snap, hold, kick. You know, and everybody talks about how great Justin Tucker is, and he is. There's no question. He's the best in the game. Their operation is spectacular. Mm-hmm. They're, they have the best they have the best snapper, Morgan Cox. They have the best holder, Sam Cook. And they have the best kicker. And because all three are phenomenal, that ball is perfect in location on the snaps. The laces are perfect, so it's easy for Sam to get it down. He's got great hands, so he covers up any mistake as well. But he knows exactly what to do, and he puts it down. And Justin can see the ball the entire way through the kick and be aggressive through it because the ball is always right there. That's instrumental, and that's how you become the best in the game. God, I love that. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah. But here, Jay, I got 
got two. Hey, I Jay, got two left here. Jay, I wish we had that in the arena leagues. I remember. I know you played a long time ago. <laughs> they, barely, they barely put the ball. They put it down on the side. <laughs> the side lay it down. Said, kick it. The coach be yelling, why did you make that kick? <laughs> oh, so true. So true. All right, well, Jay, I got two left here. Uh, in your career, uh, tell us your three to five favorite stadiums to play in. Oh, uh, that's easy. In a dome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, especially Arizona when you had a dome and grass, that was awesome. I per- I personally love playing at Lambeau, even though it's a really tough place to kick. But just the, the history there, it's different than any other stadium because you feel like it harkens back to the 60s. And I just think the people there, they just love football. You know, they're not... They're not nasty fans. They're just passionate fans. And so that was always a special place. And I, I, I always had good games there as well. So, But any dome, that was always my favorite. The worst places to kick, you know, are all your outdoor cold-weather stadiums. So you got Chicago, you got Cleveland, you got Pittsburgh. Uh, Buffalo is really tough because it's so windy. But you do have turf there, and that helps. You know, but uh, the snow game this year was unbelievable. Yeah. Trying to kick yeah. in that game. Yeah. <laughs> So, have you played in every stadium? I mean, have you played in every away team's stadium in your career? Uh, I believe so, but a couple of the new stadiums, like San Francisco, I would have played in the new stadium. You know, so Minnesota's new stadium, I didn't play in that. So, you know, as these new stadiums come, I'm getting old now, so I haven't played in them. Well, I think yeah. in the, on the Fourth Down Experience podcast, we've had Matt Bryant and we've had Jay Feely now, and I think, I think combined. I think you guys have knocked out every stadium, maybe even over in England too. I mean, you guys are just we are... both we both were over in England. Yeah, I played in England the first one. Well, guys, it was a pleasure to be on with you. Great job. I'm proud of you guys. You guys are doing awesome. Thanks so uh, much, Jay, for being on. Yep. Thanks so much, My Jay. Pleasure. Yep. Take care, guys. Best of luck. Yep. Wow, Chris. I mean, just the special teams analyst, guru of the NFL. He played six, uh, 14 years. Uh, man, he was really enthusiastic. I loved everything he said. Yeah, really fun interview. Just, just the inside scoop. Just, just a guy who just understands it all. You know, I, lo- I loved his take on on kickers, on the league, on rule changes. Uh, that this one was a fun one. I enjoyed this one. No doubt, he was getting hyped when he was talking about his uh, touchdown, and and he was even getting hyped talking about the operation between Tucker and and Cox. And Cook, I mean, those guys are are the best at what they do. But I mean, man, just him going going to practice and being able to watch that and analyze that, uh, I mean, that that's the guy to connect with is Jay Feely. He is the special teams analyst for the NFL on CBS Sports, and I think that's huge. You know, for anyone to follow him, so go follow him on on Twitter and Instagram. It's J A Y and then F E E L Y. Jay Feely. Yep, so much fun. I had to. I had. Probably a dozen more questions. We might have to do a part two with him down the road. But, uh, yeah, guys, uh, follow him on social media. He he puts up some great conversation, discussion points, posts a lot of fun things about his life. Uh, one thing, guys, that you'll probably like to follow on his social media is just, again, th- philanthropy. You know, he, he does a lot for the community and, and, and love what he does there. So, guys, just, just follow what he does and – Probably reach out with some questions, and I'm sure he'd love to get back to you. Yeah, guys, make sure to leave us a review. This is free information, free value. These guys are coming on uh, with no cost. They're wanting to provide you free information and value. So we would really appreciate if you guys went to iTunes, gave us a five-star, left a nice comment, maybe tell us something that you loved about the podcast, 
And we would love for you guys to tweet at us or send us a DM at the Fourth Down Experience on social media and, and tell us who you want on this podcast. Uh, because we've now had well over 22 podcasts with well over 17 uh, spe- NFL specialists. So we're, we're going to keep this train going. Uh, we really appreciate you tuning in every week. Uh, remember, podcast every Tuesday. And here soon you're going to be hearing some rants. So we, we thank you. We appreciate your support. And we would... You know, we hope you guys have a great weekend. Ryan, you hit the nail on the head. Thank you all for your support. Uh, thank you for, for supporting the brand. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the 4th Down Experience. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 4th Down Experience.